Hello everyone, and I'd like to welcome you all to the latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column. Today we're looking at making accident investigations watertight. However, before we get to our topic today, we really want to thank our sponsor of The Main Column podcast, Honeywell UOP. Now, Honeywell UOP is transforming the way the world works through innovations in energy transition technology and process that helps organizations create a cleaner, productive, and profitable future. Now, over the last century, Honeywell UOP's engineers and chemists have shaped the refining, petrochemical, and gas processing industries by turning laboratory science into industrial reality. UOP processes produce the fuels that power our cars, trucks, jets, and trains, They make the natural gas that heats our homes and serves as a source of power generation. They are also shaping the energy transition with their full suite of ready-now solutions to help transform the environment, including sustainable aviation fuel, advanced plastics recycling, energy storage solutions, technologies to replace natural gas with hydrogen and carbon capture offerings. You can find out more at uop.honeywell.com. And now, on with the podcast. Now, accident investigations are to a safety manager as a stethoscope is to a doctor. These methodic, non-intrusive tools support a quick observation of systems, deriving at a conclusion with a quality that is proportional to the competence of the user. In the case of an investigation, what is different is the approval committee, which has the authority to dissect the outcome, counter the narrative, challenge the status quo, and, in all fairness, accept its own management failure. Now, before delving further into this subject, the basics have to be reviewed here. According to Rasmussen, accidents are caused by a loss of control of physical processes that can injure people and or damage property and the environment. Management is interested in investigating an accident primarily to prevent a reoccurrence, satisfy legal requirements, and review existing barriers for further improvement leading to enhanced operational efficiency. However, not all investigations achieve the objective entirely. So literature highlights the criteria related to the usefulness of investigations. A successful investigation should be understandable, so the investigation output should be clear, concise, and readily understandable, should be satisfying. None of the results should be satisfying for those who initialize the investigation and other individuals that demand results from the investigation, and it should be direct. The investigation process should provide results that do not require the collection of more data before the needed controls can be identified and changes made. So this podcast is actually meant to provide guidance to senior managers and technical leaders who are approvers of investigation reports, but lack the time to go in-depth to find the real cause of incidents. While it's wistful to think that all investigations are conducted thoroughly, statistics have proven otherwise. Now, telltale signs that an investigation system is not living up to its true potential include repeat incidences, lack of synchronization between incident root causes and action items, no mention of human error in contributing or root causes, recommendations are long pending even for serious incidences, no mention of improvement in design standards or procedures, the team is unaware of the investigation outcome as to what happened or what failed, lack of concurrence regarding identified root causes among various members of the same team, and each failed barrier is not reflected in the action plan. Now, the many factors that contribute to these symptoms can be summed up for easy understanding. One, managerial, so a lack of task prioritization. 
the team is severely overloaded, a lack of quantity or quality of provided resources, authoritarian leadership leading to mostly one-way communication, unrealistic deadlines, candid sharing of investigation outcome is discouraged, initiative overload, and fear of losing bonus in a key performance indicator-driven performance reward structure. Number two, political. Task leaders are aware of political alliances, direct indirect intervention from direct or functional leadership, selective treatment towards or against specific individuals having direct correlation with the incident, and team leader or members' lack of interest. Number three, technical. A lack of specific expertise required for an in-depth investigation. So in other words, things like dispersion modeling, stress analysis, fitness for service assessments, complex, complex interactions. And there's also a lack of diversified experienced team members, including direct supervision staff, non-involvement of subject matter experts or SMEs, and lack of availability of previous design, maintenance, commissioning, and root cause analysis data, etc. And the last one, resource constraints. So this is staff scarcity due to budget cuts, lack of preventive maintenance programs, outsourcing of important inspections without regard to competence, and a reluctance to accept responsibility of negative outcome of their own decisions. Now, the role of leadership is crucial in terms of managing safety and staff motivation, especially during budget cuts and resource limitations. And any corporate push of doing more with less should be taken with a pinch of salt since quality never comes cheap. Now, leaders must be aware that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. They might not hear this from direct reports, but business and safety KPIs will definitely provide strong indications of success or failure. Now let's look at achieving best results. So maintaining a robust incident investigation system under such constraints, it's a challenging from leadership that must face and conquer. Now experience has proven that the best results are achieved with the steps that are going to be detailed here. First one is honest interaction with impacted employees. So leaders have to meet the impacted unit's operators at all levels, which can help them develop their own version of accident causation. Leaders must listen intently to employees' feedback and their proposed solutions around any issues. Leaders should actively try to resist providing answers, but rather generate insight from the team's feedback. They should not become emotionally attached to a certain contributing or root cause. There is no harm in tossing questions to the investigation team for their active debate and assessment. And employees appreciate personal feedback of their raised concerns and a public appreciation of good work. Next is about empowering the team. Now, of course, this is easier said than done, but the more empowered the team, the more agile it becomes. Decisions do not have to be escalated needlessly, leaving leaders free to focus on strategic tasks while functional leaders can manage the mundane. Most empowered teams demonstrate the following traits, a mutual respect and trust, ownership of resources, focus on results, and ethical conduct in difficult situations. Next is weekly updates from the investigation team. Now a short update about an investigation's progress, the major issues being faced, and any support requested for management can make all the difference between an excellent outcome and one that merely checks the boxes. Leadership must communicate their openness to listening to uncomfortable truths to successfully avoid issues in the long term, rather than a rosy lie leading to an embarrassing short-term outcome. Next is audit the auditor. 
Insightful open-ended questions to the investigation team will determine the depth to which the investigation team will reach and ascertain root causes. These questions can include the following. Have you been able to identify and troubleshoot all failed barriers? What were the missing barriers? How do similar benchmark companies manage this risk? Have job-related factors been considered? Can the same incident occur in another shift? Were environment-related factors studied? Was the team's competence verified prior to assigning it individual responsibilities? And what about a refresher training system? If previous failures were investigated, what actions were taken on earlier recommendations? Was the design correct to withstand both normal and abnormal conditions? Has it been reviewed by a competent team prior to commissioning and during the operations phase? What happened to the outcome generated as a result? Were technical integrity-related factors verified? What actions were taken? Were operating integrity-related factors verified? Were alarms documented and personnel trained? Was equipment operated within design limits and were any deviations investigated? Were any alarms, interlocks, controller set points tampered with without proper risk assessment? Next, drive the investigation's quality by challenging the preliminary assessment report. So best practice is to invite relevant professionals from their divisions and assets who can assist in reviewing the preliminary report with a cold eye. The human mind is prone to many biases, so it's always beneficial to calibrate against a competent resource that has no stake in the outcome. The wealth of information expected from such an intervention includes knowledge sharing on missing barriers, insights on failed barriers, and best practices around the subject matter. Encourage active investigation of recovery methods in addition to preventive and mitigative barrier failures, thereby driving operational excellence. Next, if serious about safety, be authentic in accountability. Management's focus should be to improve the process and not incite fear with disciplinary actions. Accountability must be conducted with the utmost responsibility. And the best results are achieved when accountability is endorsed by the entire management team, driven by an approved management system rather than an opinion, consistently applied to involved personnel according to their proven contribution and regardless of their seniority or designation, distributed equally to employees and business partners and contractors, conveyed directly by supervisors and managers to the employees. Now, short-term impacts are preferred over long-term impacts. Now, the purpose is to drive behavioral improvements, not to drive the team member away. Remember, it is interesting in keeping both the lesson and the person who learned it best with the organization. The craft of preparing an action plan. Now, while many professionals place a priority on determining root cause or root causes, it is the actions generated as a result that can mark the difference between success and failure. So while reviewing the action plan, Ensure the basics are in place before developing an effective control and insurance mechanisms. Never assume that an action party is aware of the recommendations context since it might get delegated lower. Document what you need from the action party with as much clarity as possible. A failed barrier must receive improvements in design, operation, and maintenance with independent insurance mechanisms by different responsible parties. Both contributory and root causes must be considered for active intervention since both active barriers and early warning systems are needed to prevent the next incident. An action party should preferably have the resources to complete the task on its own, 
Otherwise, it should be delegated to the manager. Incorporate the investigation team leader or a senior relevant advisor in the action closure loop in the incident database. Ensure the intent of action closure is achieved prior to closure approval. Have the investigation team leader gain concurrence with the action owner. A signed final report means the end of further discussion. Target dates are provided by the action party and are open to challenge only by executive management. Any target date extension should be approved by the investigation team sponsor or site vice president, whichever is more senior. Recommendations should be robust to identify and curb similar unsafe acts and conditions with similar chances of failures across other organizational units or assets. Lead, follow, or get out of the way. Now, the management team should initiate a Q&A session with the investigation team and impacted unit personnel. Everyone should be given a chance to contribute. Once the report is approved, any question on the report's credibility must be addressed. View the investigation report as both a door to the past and a window to the future. While conducting the investigation, the team must ensure that relevant data, documentation, distributed control system trends, logs, records, procedure report excerpts, interview logs, FTA, tripod, beta tree, minutes of meetings, etc., are properly achieved. Future colleagues and teams will benefit from this hard work while investigating a similar incident in the future. And lastly, integrate the investigation system with an effective lesson learned system. Now, major investigations must be embedded in various platforms to maximize lessons learned. Best practices include developing a one-page flyer with every investigation to be shared to all employees in a safety meeting. A learning from incident committee should review various incidents and develop proactive action plans to supplement existing controls across assets, divisions, and businesses. Operations and maintenance personnel should incorporate important lessons learned in their work and instruction manuals. An online learning from incident database and hard files are kept for new employees, turnarounds, and safety trainings. Now again, we want to thank you for listening to this latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column. And again, we want to thank our sponsor for this podcast, Honeywell UOP. You can find out more at uop.honeywell.com.